So we're going to be in 1 Peter 3 and 1 Peter 4 tonight. First Peter 3 and 1 Peter 4. Like I said, sheets available back there on the back table. We're going to do things a little bit different tonight. Obviously, we usually go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. This is one of those teachings that we're still going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but I think it's important to get this whole context on the subject that we're talking about tonight. Obviously, when the Bible was written, when 1 Peter was written 2,000 years ago, you know, these five chapters were one continuous thing, and the idea is you would obviously sit down and read all of it in one setting. What we do by going and breaking it up, you know, and doing 25 minutes on one Wednesday and 25 minutes on the other, sometimes we don't get the continuity that we're actually hoping to do. So tonight we start talking about suffering, and so since we talked about suffering, I think it's important to do the whole topic here. So we're going to skip over some verses. Don't think we're skipping them permanently. We'll come back next week and pick it up and get back to our verse by verse. So we're going to do 1 Peter 3 and 1 Peter 4. Now, the topic tonight is not very enjoyable. Sorry. Suffering. I remember when I first started teaching Wednesday nights 15 years ago, I remember Pastor Crager at the time when I was serving as an assistant under him. He always told me, he goes, make sure you keep the Wednesday nights upbeat. He goes, people are coming in from work, they're coming in from school, they're tired, it's difficult to come. So the most upbeat topic I could bring tonight was suffering. Now, truth of the matter is, there are many in this church right now that are really going through a difficult time. I mean, they really are. And it's amazing how, as Christians, we don't hit this topic of suffering as much as we should because the truth of the matter is it's inevitable. And I know that's not the first point to make, but that is the first point to make. We left off last week in verse 17, and this is kind of our stepping stone to what we're going to talk about tonight. Verse 17 of 1 Peter 3 says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when I was working on this lesson, I just started thinking about that word suffer. It is inevitable you will suffer in this world. It's inevitable. You're going to go through tough times. I remember when Elias was just getting of the age when he was able to start cleaning stuff and picking up his room. And I remember Dawn going to him and saying, you need to clean up your room. He didn't want it to. He fussed about it. He didn't want to go clean up his room. So Dawn said very simply to him, she goes, you're going to clean up your room. Now you can either clean up your room the easy way or you can clean up the room the hard way. The easy way is you just go do it right now because I asked you to do it. The hard way is you're going to get disciplined and then you're going to go have to clean the room. So it's inevitable you're going to have to clean your room one of two ways. I think that's the same thing that happens with suffering. It's inevitable you're going to suffer. Now I wish I could tell you there's the easy suffering and the hard suffering. It's both suffering. But there is a suffering that has a purpose in the Lord and then there's a suffering that has no purpose in any way whatsoever. That is the difference that we have. It is inevitable as a believer you're going to go through difficult times, you're going to go through tough times, and you will face suffering in this world. Look at the little verses here that we put down. The first one, John 16:33. I don't know if you can have a favorite verse about suffering, but it's my favorite verse about suffering, where Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. It blows my mind when I see doctrines and teachings and pastors and churches try to preach this gospel that you will never go through difficult times. There's a whole book in the Bible called Job about going through difficult times. Go read the writings of Jeremiah. He went through some tough times. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's not a real pick-me-up of a book. The truth of the matter is we're going to go through tough times. Now, it's a lot easier to just preach messages that doesn't say anything about going through tough times. It's much more uplifting. It's what I call cotton candy Christianity. The problem is, though, when you leave that message about how everything's great, perfect, and wonderful, and you go into work the next day and things completely fall apart, you're not spiritually prepared for when sufferings come. Sufferings are going to come. In fact, First Peter uses the word suffering 
the second most time of any book in the Bible, and it's only five chapters long. Peter is trying to get a point across here. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 12. We wrote it down there for you. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. I think this is what happens as Christians. We think it's strange when something goes wrong. I'm a Christian. My car should never break down. I, I, I should never get a flat tire. I'm not the one that gets laid off. It's those non-believing thugs that get laid off because my father will always watch out for me. I'm the Christian that will always have the right spouse. I'm the Christian that will always have the best kids. I'm the Christian that will always have things perfect. And so therefore, when a fiery trial happens to me, why? Peter is coming right out and telling us in 1 Peter 4, don't think it's strange when bad things happen in your life. He goes, that is a part of of life, that difficult things are going to happen. Now, we're going to get to the why of that in a little bit, but we have to establish this groundwork first. Christ said in John 16, you will have trials and sorrows. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, you will have trials, and don't think it's strange. Now, you may think I'm just belittling this point, but the truth of the matter is I've run into Christians that don't think that you should ever have trials or sorrows or sadness. And I don't know where they're getting that, but they have convinced themselves that bad things don't happen to Christians. And then when bad things happen to them, they're crushed. You're going to go through tough times. That's point number one. I hope we've established that. Now, continuing in our study here in Peter, we've already covered this verse, but look at our verse. next verse we're going to go through. 1 Peter 2.21. This is a great verse right here. It says that Christ also suffered for us, setting us an example. Now, you've heard me make this point numerous times, but it bears repeating. Jesus set the example. Whatever sufferings you have gone through, Christ has gone through. Now, not maybe word for word, but the th combination of it is this. Physically, spiritually, and emotionally, as you look at your sheets, suffering falls into one of those three categories. But whatever you're going through right now, whatever trials, tribulations you brought in, I'm sure falls into one of those categories. And I don't know how many people I've talked to here recently that are suffering, first one, physically. They're really going through a tough time physically. And I've heard people say before, I try to explain the pain to people, but they don't get it. They don't realize how much I'm hurting. Jesus does. He knows what it means to suffer physically. Now, he may not have suffered exactly what you're suffering, but the Bible says in Isaiah 52, 14, he was marred more than any other man. And if you want to, go read Isaiah 52 and read about physically what Christ went through. If anybody can say, I know what you're going through, it's Christ himself, because he suffered physically. He was marred more than any other man. Next one, spiritually. There's a lot of people struggling right now spiritually. Now, the thing about spiritual struggles, we don't like to admit them. Because if we admit them, it makes it look like we're a bad Christian. We're not allowed to admit that my faith is lacking. We're not allowed to admit that I don't really read as much as I say I do. I'm not allowed to admit that I really don't pray anymore. And I'm not allowed to admit that I do come to church. Yes, I'm sitting there. It looks like I'm taking notes, but I'm really just a good doodler or something along that type of line. We're not allowed to admit those things. People struggle spiritually. That passage we wrote down in Matthew 27, 41 is where Christ said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, have you ever had that moment like that? Now, no, we don't want to admit that. Jesus admitted it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If that is not a spiritual struggle, I don't know what is. So when you are sitting there and you're saying, No one understands what I'm going through spiritually, Christ says, I've been forsaken by God. I know. You have someone you can turn to to spiritually give your heart over that understands. And the last one, emotionally, that's Luke 22:44. The Bible says in that passage that Jesus was in agony. He was in so much agony that he started sweating drops of blood. Commentators believe that it was such an intense prayer he was going through, such an intense agony going through, that the blood vessels literally burst. Now, I've gone through some tough times. I've gone through some mental anguish. I have never sweated drops of blood. Jesus has. 
So I'm telling you, whatever you're facing physically, whatever you're facing spiritually, and whatever you're facing emotionally, there's only one person that can truly say, I know what you're going through, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So point number one tonight is you are going to suffer in this world. There's going to be suffering. There's no way around that. We'll get to the why of that in a little bit. Our next point, though, is Christ set the example for us, 1 Peter 2.21, and he set the example of getting through it, and that's why we turn to him. Now, let's just stop for a second. Any quick questions about the first two points there? It's inevitable we're going to go through difficult times, and obviously Christ is the one that helps us through those difficult times. Any quick questions, comments? Brian? Right. Well, I, I think because you just said it. <laughs> I, who, who doesn't want the lots of money in the brand new car from God? I guess, I guess it comes down to two things. Number one is why is it the majority of Hollywood movies always have a happy ending? People like happy endings. They like things turning out. They like a resolution at the end. And so what happens is the resolution for us as Christians is what? Heaven. Now, for a lot of Christians, that's not good enough. I want the resolution here on earth. There is not a single promise of the happy ending here on earth. The happy ending is Christ in heaven for all of eternity. That's the resolution for that. So I guess why is it such a popular thing? I think it's because the world is completely falling apart. And, and I don't like that phrase, but the phrase is true. It's the class of going to hell in a handbasket type thing. Well, I think people want, don't want to hear that. I think people want to hear, just tell me that it's all going to be okay. Just tell me that no matter what my actions are, I'm still going to be blessed. Tell me that no matter how I live my life, everything is going to be fine and dandy. The Bible doesn't promise you that. Now, the truth of the matter is, it'd be much easier just to give those messages, and I would love to get up every Sunday and every Wednesday and just keep telling you guys, God loves you and whatever you're facing, it's going to all work out. Now, I can say that because I know it will all work out in the whole scheme of eternity. I know that. Does that mean it's all going to work out in this world the way you want it to? I can't promise you that because I know that God's will is better than my will. So a good question there, Ryan. I think the thing is people just want what they want. It's what I call the Santa Claus Jesus. You know, we don't go to him as Lord and Savior. We go to him as Santa Claus saying, I want this, 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 and this, and look at me. I've been a good little boy. John, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a really good passage, and that is in, um, if I remember correctly, it's in 2 Timothy. Let me just double-check that to make sure. That is a, uh, a really good passage there where it talks about that. And if you guys, if someone can find it, uh, yell it out to me here. But it's, um, what is that? I'm pretty sure it's in Timothy right here, where it talks about having itching ears and, and hearing what you want to hear. And that's what it is. It's either in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy there. And it's a really neat thing. That's what people want, is why do I want to go to church and hear that I'm a sinner? Well, it's not that our job, or I shouldn't say it's not that my motive when you walk through the doors is to step on your feet and condemn you. No, the Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But the truth of the matter is there's conviction in the Spirit and there's truth of Scriptures. And I know some of the most fruitful messages I've ever heard have been honest, straightforward, hard-hitting. Yes, 2 Timothy 4.3. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own di desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and will turn from their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Boy, that's the truth. Boy, that's, that's, that's what's happening now. And uh, you see a lot of it. And I'm, I'm not putting down all pastors on TV. Every time I make a comment about pastors on TV, I always have someone come up to me and say, you know there's some good ones. I know there are. I've just never met them. But I know there I'm sure there are good ones on TV. I'm kidding, obviously. A lot of the junk that you see on TV is that prosperity gospel. And I, and I tell you, there's a great passage, and I believe it's in 3 John, and it starts out where it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I love that verse. I pray that verse for you guys. I pray that verse for me, that I may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. But we have to define what that definition of prosperity is. 
To me, a very prosperous life is somebody who's raising godly kids in the Lord and leading people to Christ and being a light and a witness in all they do. That's a pretty prosperous life. Just because you have a uh, 4,000 square foot home and numerous cars doesn't make you spiritually prosperous. So what's the definition of prosperity? To me, it is being used by the Lord, by the Lord, for the Lord, and that's what we pray for. Anybody else have anything here about these first couple points? Yeah, Megan. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know for sure. It an interesting uh, phrasing there on the word. You know, mine says, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And like I said, we don't know for sure what was going on. It could have been something supernatural. Most of what I've heard is just the idea there was such an intensity there going on in the prayer that uh, literally the blood vessels were bursting. I don't know for sure. That's kind of what, that's what we've been told. So we'll see. Yeah. Anybody else have anything about the first couple points? Okay. Now, let's try to answer why. And, and one of the things I always tell people is I can't answer why questions. I can't. Because I'm not God and I can't answer why. What I normally tell people is, I'm not here to answer why, I'm here to answer where. I don't know why what's happening in your life. I don't know why it's going on. But I know where you're going and I know where your Savior is. Those questions I can answer. But what fruit comes out of this suffering? Well, there's some interesting things here. Turn if you want me to the Romans 8 passage. I, I love this passage, Romans 8. And you can see the point that we're making there. Suffering shows that we're part of God's family. Just kind of a strange little passage. Romans 8, please. And let's go ahead and start here in verse 16 of Romans chapter 8. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I like that. We just sang the song, verse 17. If children, then heirs. I like that too. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. This is good. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. It's really good up until the second half of verse 17. I like that. But until he mentions that word, suffering. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's what we say all the time. What you're going through on this earth does not compare to eternity. It, it doesn't. Whatever physical, emotional, or spiritual struggle with you have right now does not compare to eternity in any way whatsoever. This world is a cursed, fallen world. Look at verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. This, this creation, this fallen world, is a cursed fallen world. Yes, it's beautiful in certain places. Yes, there's a lot of joy and peace and love in certain instances in this world. But this is still a cursed fallen world. No matter how great your family life is, no matter how beautiful the scenery is, and no matter how good you're feeling physically, this is still a cursed fallen world. We're in bondage, we're in corruption, and the Bible is trying to tell us here, part of being a Christian is you suffer like Christ suffered. That shows you're part of the family. Have you ever seen the peep thing where the kids look just like the dad or the kids look just like the mom? You can't miss it. Well, same thing here spiritually. My Savior, my brother, my betrothed suffered. Well, I'm a child of God. Well, if God suffered, I'm going to suffer. I'm part of the family. Jesus came right out and said, hey, whatever I went through, you're going to go through too. But yet we still sit here thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to be the one Christian that doesn't suffer. No. Part of being of the family is Christ suffered, we suffered. That's part of the family. Now, we still haven't got to the point of, well, okay, James, why? Well, jump back to 1 Peter. We're not going to do all of 1 Peter 1. If, you're, if you want to know the full teaching of 1 Peter 1 here, I believe it was our second study in 1 Peter. Because I believe the first study of 1 Peter, we just did an intro into who Peter was in the first few verses. This would probably be week two. You can check with the sound guys, or you can get online and listen to it. But 
First Peter 1 goes into this detail, reminding us that trials and tribulations only last for a limited time. They serve a purpose by growing us and making us stronger in Christ, and that we're supposed to always keep the end in mind. Now, now think of those three points. They serve a purpose. They only last a little while. Now, some of you may be thinking, my trial has been lasting my whole life. And as we've said numerous times, your trial will end as soon as you die and enter the gates of heaven. Your trial has an end. Well, it's not fair that I have to suffer with this my whole life. You don't have to suffer with your whole life. You have eternal life in heaven. You have to suffer for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. But for all of eternity, you don't have to suffer with that. There is an end to your sufferings. God says, I'm going to use that time of suffering as a light and a witness for me, and that time of suffering is going to grow you. Now, in the middle of the storm, you don't want to hear it. But it's truth, people. I mean, it is. And that's what First Peter 1 is trying to tell us. What fruit comes out of suffering? It grows us spiritually. And our last one here, jump ahead if you will to First Peter chapter 4. What comes out of suffering? It blesses us. Look at First Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. We talked about this. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. We're supposed to rejoice because we get to suffer like Christ did. That when His glory is revealed, you will also be glad with exceedingly joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. Now, now think about that. When it says right here, when Christ is revealed, His glory, verse 13, for all of eternity of heaven, God says you'll be blessed by everything you went through. So when you are suffering on this earth for the kingdom, for God's will, God's purpose, God says, I don't forget that, I remember that, I know that, and that will be restored to you for all of eternity. Amen. Now in the middle of the storm, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. This is where as Christians we've got to keep that eternal perspective in all we do. When you are going through a trial and a tribulation, do not let that trial and tribulation control you. Christ is what controls you. Do not let the emotions of life bring you now. Do not let discouragement and depression get the best of you. Do not turn into the woe is me. Nothing ever works out for me. Nothing ever happens for me. No. You are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You are more than a conqueror in the Lord, and your home is in heaven, and God says you'll be honored and blessed by that. There is a plan. There is a purpose. Now, we have to make sure we're suffering for the right reasons, which takes us to our next part. God's will or my fault. I've run into many people suffering. Some of them are suffering from the Lord. Some of them are suffering because I really did something stupid. You have to make a decision here. So we already read some of these verses. Let's pick it up here in verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Think about that for a second. I've had people try to explain to me how they're suffering from the Lord because they're living in sin. I don't really see that. Verse 15 comes right out and says, Make sure the suffering you're going through is not because of choices you're making in your life. If you make bad choices in life, you will suffer the consequences of those bad choices. Now, there's not a lot of fruit that comes out of that. There's not a lot of good that comes out of that. There's not a lot of blessing that comes out of that. The Bible says you're suffering because you're doing things that aren't right. I've heard people come up to me, and I look at that phrase busybody in verse 15. Some of your translations may say meddler or something like that. I've had people come up to me and say, I don't have a lot of friends. Why don't you have a lot of friends? Because I speak the truth. I speak the truth to everybody. No, you don't speak the truth. You butt into everybody's business. That's why you don't have a lot of friends. You're not suffering from the Lord because you're speaking the truth. You're suffering because you butt into everybody's business. No one wants to be your friend. I've gone and visited people in prison where they're telling me they're suffering. You are suffering. That is part of the consequence of the actions that you have done. So it makes it abundantly clear we will suffer in life. And this goes back to the point that we said at the beginning. We're all going to suffer. Now, we're either going to suffer with a purpose 
that grows us spiritually in the Lord, that takes us deeper in our walks with Christ, and it's going to be used for His glory and a witness, and we'll be blessed for all of eternity, or we're going to suffer because of choices and situations that we made. Does that mean that every single person that's thrown in prison is suffering for bad choices? No. Look at Joseph. He suffered in prison for the Lord. Paul and Silas suffered in prison for the Lord. We can go on. I know people that got saved in prison. Through actions and choices they made, they suffered, but then the Lord said, now I'm going to use you in here. I've known people that made some really bad choices and suffered because of those consequences. Then God says, though, but I'm still going to be able to use this for a purpose. But we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we don't make the choices in life and then blame God for the consequences of our choices. And, I, and I've seen this happen way too many times. And I remember years ago I got a phone call from somebody and they lost their job. And they told me how they lost their job. And this guy was going on and on about losing his job and not being fair and you know the people at work, how mean they are, his boss and everything, and he lost his job. So I'm like really sympathetic, etc. Then I kind of had an epiphany moment. I never asked why he lost his job. So I asked him, so what happened to make you lose your job? Oh, those people found drugs on me. Well, now come on. I, that's a consequence of an action that you did. That, that's, that's not God's fault. That's a consequence of an action that you did. And there's been times in life where I've sat there and said, woe is me because of dumb choices I've made. We have to make sure we're suffering for the right purpose and the right reason. What's our response supposed to be for suffering? Our last verse tonight, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, note, according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. That, that verse has so much in it. You're going to suffer. You are according to the will of God. That means I trust the divine thing that's going on here, Lord, even though I don't see the big picture. I commit my soul to him. Note, it does not mean I commit my flesh. This flesh is going to burn and rot off. This flesh is nothing. It's my soul that lasts for all of eternity. Lord, I give you my soul. That I give to you. How do I do it? And doing good as to a faithful creator. If he created me, I trust that he also knows what, I'm, what he's doing. Verse 19 has everything there. I, I tell you, I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know if it's emotional, physical, spiritual. Maybe you're in a good season of life right now. Amen. Maybe you know somebody who's going through a difficult time. Maybe this is the lesson. Get a copy of it. Send it to them. I don't know. But we're all going to go through difficult times. God can and will use that. And we need to make sure that our hope and trust is in him in all ways and all things. Does anybody have any final questions, comments about this? We'll go ahead and close up. Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and, I, and I think it's a, it's a very, very valid point. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 talks about a time to weep, a time to mourn. There's nothing wrong with weeping and mourning. Those are God-given emotions that are, are going to happen. If you lose a loved one, if something traumatic happens in your life, the emotional response to that, there is going to be weeping and mourning. It's just not allowing those emotions to control us. And there are seasons of life. I mean, one of the things that I always say anytime I do a funeral is if I'm doing a funeral for a family, I usually say something to the fact of people will come up to you, give you a hug and pat you on the back because you're crying saying it's okay. And I always say at that point, I always tell them, it's not okay. If it was okay, we wouldn't be sitting here weeping and crying and mourning. There are certain times in life where things are not okay. But it's a season of life where things are not okay, but it doesn't mean it's going to last forever. And there's a season of weeping, there's a season of mourning. But the Bible also says there's a season of laughing, and I'm reading it right now, and there's a season of dancing. If you're in the season of laughing and dancing, enjoy it. Not trying to sound something here, but there's going to be a season of weeping and mourning. If you're in the season of weeping and mourning right now, it doesn't mean the world's going to end because there will be a season of laughing and dancing. Thank you. We are in different seasons of life at different times where God is always there through it. Point. Yeah, Ron. Does God continue to make people suffer for their past actions? Boy, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> our past actions have consequences. 
And sometimes our past actions have consequences that will last the rest of our life. Now, is that considered suffering for past consequences? I should say past actions. Depends how you look at the word suffering. If I go out and do something stupid and I get totally high and totally wasted, totally drunk, and I go into a car accident, and then because of that car accident I lose a limb, I'm going to have that consequence the rest of my natural life. Is that me suffering because of it? Well, maybe the Lord's going to use that for a greater purpose and a greater good. You know, I know some people that have made some really stupid choices at 16, 17, 18, 19, and there's things on their record that they carry with them the rest of their life. Is that them suffering for consequences? Well, there's a consequence because of their action, but I think that person has to determine personally, is that suffering or is that something God's going to use? Isn't that kind of a personal choice a little bit? I've known people that have gone through very difficult times, and they have suffered because of that, but they don't allow that suffering to control them. I think of Joseph. Joseph suffered by being in prison. Joseph suffered as his brothers tried to kill him. Joseph suffered by being sold as a slave. But what did Joseph choose to say? You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. So I think it depends on how you choose to take that. And, and to be honest with you, Ron, I've met people that have suffering for actions, I should say, and they won't get past it. Like, well, look at what happened. Well, you have to reach a point where Paul says you put your past behind you and you move forward and everybody's a new creation in Christ Jesus. Some of you made, made some stupid choices and mistakes early in your life, but isn't that a beautiful verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, any man in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So I think that's a wonderful start over verse. Yeah. Mm, yeah, 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 and that's the neat thing. You know, I was just reading the other day that passage where it says God's mercies are new every morning. What a beautiful thing! And I think one of my favorite terms in the Bible is is born again. That idea of you're a new creation, a new thing. You know, we just got done doing the Belmore um, VBS last week, and the way they ended each of the Belmore VBSs is they had somebody get up and they used the term, tell them their, their turned around story, how God turned them around. And so, you know what? I think what happens is a lot of us here today, or tonight I should say, may have have some consequences for actions we have chosen over the years, but isn't it neat that God can turn that around and make something good out of something bad? And that's, that's what he does. What a beautiful thing that is. Anybody else have a final thing you want to say? John. <laughs> yeah. Amen. New every morning. I mean, that's the thing is, I tell you, in my Christian walk, I've done some stupid stuff. I still think some of the worst things I've ever done was after I got saved. And sometimes you go to bed just in sorrow and sadness and tears and shame and thinking about how big of an idiot you were all day. You wake up the next morning, the sun's out, and you're like, wow, born again, saved in Christ. Mercies are new every morning. That's one neat thing. I was thinking of this passage in Timothy. It says, for if we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And there's been times in my Christian walk where I've been faithless. But God still remains faithful. What a neat thing that is. Anybody else have any final thing they want to say here? Marcus. Mm-hmm. Amen. I mean, I think it's a good point when we talk about somebody else. You know, one of the things I tell people, and they never want to hear this in the middle of it, just like I never want to hear in the middle of it. But when you're going through a tough time, there is the truth of God is going to use this later on, and you may run into somebody who's going through the exact same type later on that you can then say, hey, I've gotten through this. And what a blessing that is. This is what I want to finish with, and um, if you want to turn there, you can. It's, just, it's in Galatians 6. I think this has a nice balance here of everything we're talking about here. It's Galatians 6, and it's this balance of our actions and consequences, but still seeing what the Lord does. Galatians 6, verse 7. It says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We've talked about that. For if he sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption? But if he sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life? Look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. 
for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Boy, I encourage you, if you are growing weary, <laughs> do not lose heart. The harvest is coming. What a blessing that is. Hey, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Lord, we just come to you tonight and thank you so much for just this wonderful passages you had here tonight, uh, Lord, that you just through the Spirit gave Peter. Thank you for that. And Lord, forever is here tonight, be it suffering physically, emotionally, or spiritually, be with them, uplift them, encourage them. We just pray that you'd be with them in all ways. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we have a wedding this coming weekend, so if we could have some guys and gals help us split the chairs like we normally do, and we also need to clear off the stage then as well, too. Thank you.